Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Today, a rainy Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. I am Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum. Hey, everybody. We really appreciate you listening, and welcome to episode 29. So, we are kind of going back to the same passage. We're in Genesis 6, in the, the first part of the story of Noah, but I think we're going to hit a different aspect than we did on the last one. Tell me, you want to give like a recap maybe of the last episode and then kind of where we're moving into? Yeah, so our last episode, we entitled it The Plot Thickens because the enemy was not satisfied with the level of corruption that was initiated at the fall and decided to take it even deeper and even further. The strategy was basically summarized with looking at the Nephilim, which was a corruption of human nature. Today we're going to actually look a little bit more deeper into the story and focus on the relational aspects between God and Noah. And then we're going to kind of draw some parallels with our relationship with God. That sounds good, Tim. I like that we're hitting both aspects. So we're not going to probably read through the entire passage again. Right. We're just going to hit a few verses, and then we're going to go up to the New Testament and camp out there a little bit longer than normal. Okay. So we're in Genesis 6, 1 through 12, if you mm-hmm. want to check it out. So we're going we're gonna to jump into uh, verse 3, because uh, it says, And the Lord said, and, and this is after the sons of God come down and take wives. In verse 3, it says, The Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And one of the things that I think is important to recognize about this story is that there's been a pattern of God meeting with Adam and Eve, with Cain, and God is still wanting to meet with us. He wants to father us. And it's interesting that he uses this language of striving that his spirit is, has been striving to kind of bring us, you know, bring hu- human beings towards a certain direction to get them to walk a certain path. And there's resistance there. There's rebellion. There's a lack of participation or lack of cooperation in that. It's just kind of interesting to me that this is how God is seeing the relationship. He's like, hey, this is like this is striving. Like I'm I'm constantly having to pull in this direction and they're constantly pulling in another direction. And there's tension here and God is kind of naming that. He's kind of calling that out. It gets really intense later on because it says that the Lord was sorry, you know, after he saw all of the evil and how it was just evil all the time that it says that he was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And it says that he was grieved in his heart. And so it's very much this thing where you're like looking at someone destroy their life. And you're looking on and you want to help them, but they won't let you help them. 
And this is very common when you talk to people who maybe have friends or family members who are stuck in a a cycle of addiction, is that you kind of have to watch them make choices that destroy themselves, and you want to help them, but they're not actually letting you help them. And you kind of have to look on from a distance uh, in some ways. So what's interesting here is the contrast is with Noah because it talks about Noah being righteous, but it uses this one phrase that I think is really interesting. It says that Noah walked with God. And so think about that, that metaphor of walking with someone. So God is struggling to get people to go in a certain direction, and here's this one person who says to God, wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. So it's not God walking with Noah, it's Noah walking with God. And God is setting the direction, he's setting the pace, he's setting the agenda for the journey. And Noah is this rare person who actually walks with God. Um, There's only one other person in the narrative so far that this description is used, and it's Enoch. And it says that Enoch walked with God And apparently God was so happy about that that he actually took Enoch and Enoch got, you know, lifted up into heaven as it were, maybe somewhat similar to Elijah. This trait of Noah is, I think, pretty significant and instructive for us because it's not just God meeting with someone, they're actually walking with each other and that's a more sustained relationship. That's more interaction. That's more, you know, instead of like making an appointment, meeting with somebody and then going away, there's actually more continual interaction. And you're not just meeting and having a static encounter. You're both actually moving some in a certain direction. So it's it's kind of a neat contrast to think about meeting with God versus walking with God. And I think there's both, you know, aspects of that relationship that God was really craving to be in with uh, human beings, but he had a hard time finding people who wanted to be in that kind of relationship with him. Yeah, I really love this idea that you're talking about, Tim, because it really shows God's heart for people, for the humans he created And he has a wonderful and beautiful plan for them and for us. For each of us, he has a beautiful plan. And he's just wanting us to walk with him so that he can show us that way. But anyways, I could talk about that for the rest of the podcast. (laughs) So, well, we can move on. Yeah. Okay. That's it. it, It's I. I really like it when you start talking about relationship because you know you've you've got a heart for that, and I. That's an area that I've had to learn, and so it's always enjoyable to hear you talk about that. So I think what we'll do now is we'll just kind of use our imagination. Like imagine God walking with Noah, and this is maybe similar to the idea of God showing up in the garden, that they heard him walking in the garden. You know that kind of thing. And God's walking with Noah, and he says, you, you know, you, have you noticed how crazy it is out here? Have you noticed all the violence? And then God telling Noah, I'm going to bring a flood, and everything is going to be destroyed, and here's what we're going to do. You're going to build an ark. 
And <laughs> it's, it's completely, if, if you're Noah, you're thinking, wait, what? Like, what's an ark? Like, assuming that an ark has not been built yet, that there weren't seafaring uh, vessels, maybe there were, but it's, it's a very strange thing for God to ask Noah to do. And there he is building this massive boat and everyone around them, around him is probably thinking, what are you doing? God asked him to build something that doesn't make any sense because there's a promise about what's going to come in the future. And this is sort of like where walking with God gets really practical, is that God says something to us, he reveals something to us, and he says, I want you to go in this direction, I want you to do this. And this is where that obedience and that trusting obedience comes, where we continue to walk in that direction and on that path, even though it doesn't make sense, Mm. even though we can't uh, figure it out. Yeah, and it it gets very real when you get into those types of conversations with God. But we see here God's desire for relationship. We see him not forcing himself on people and allowing things to take their course. And this is kind of where it ends up. We see him being patient and ultimately just being really sad that there is not more people wanting to walk with him. That's a that's a great point. And if we want to put like some perspective on this, you know, for like a timeline, well, how long did God try? How long did he really invest? And if you kind of do the math in the genealogies, if we use the book of Enoch as a clue, the sons of God descended during the days of Jared. And the time span between Jared and the flood is about a thousand years. Mm. And if you look at the generations between Jared and Noah, it's about four generations. And so uh, God invested a pretty long amount of time to try to get people to walk with him. And there just wasn't a very good track record. Uh, things got way out of control. Yeah, and, and I guess at some point he had to do something about it. Yeah, he had to take decisive action. So, there, you know, there's a, a movie called Hatfield and McCoys, which, you know, talks about these two groups of people that once the violence started, it was very difficult to stop. And they have this point in the movie where they say, look, somebody's going to stop this or we're just going to kill each other off and nobody will be left alive. And that's basically the kind of situation God was dealing with. Is he didn't, If he didn't take decisive action, they would just kill each other off. Right, right. Okay, so now we're going to jump up to 2 Peter 3 because Peter is going to draw a parallel between the story of Noah and the coming destruction with the flood and us and the second coming of Jesus, the coming destruction, but also the new heavens and the new earth. So we're going to start at verse 1, chapter 3 and verse 1. And we're just going to go through verse 9, and we're just going to hit a few highlights here. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days 
walking according to their own lusts or desires, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So he's about to tie this in with Noah, but you can kind of see the parallels already, right? So imagine somebody walking up to Noah saying, dude, what are you doing? Like, what what is this for? And Noah's like, well, there's going to be a flood. And they're like, what's that? And he starts explaining to to them there. And then they come back a month later and they're like, so where's the flood, Noah? And then a month later, so where's the flood? And they're thinking, man, that nothing's going to happen, man. Like this thing's just going to keep going and keep going. You're you're crazy, man. Like I don't I don't know where you're getting this stuff from, but nothing is going to happen. So in verse five, he says, "For this they willingly forget." And this is where he's going to draw us back into the story of Noah. That by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, the parallel he's drawing here is that God promised to bring destruction with the flood, and the people of Noah's day were essentially, they ignored the promise. And he's saying, look, there's also a promise that we live under, that Jesus is going to come back, and there's going to be a judgment day, and there's going to be a day of reckoning for ungodly men, ungodly people. And then here's what's kind of interesting in verses 8 and 9. This is where that thousand years comes in, which is the approximate amount of years between Jared and Noah. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord... One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The thing I, I think we're wanting to kind of focus on here is this relational aspect of God, is that God spent a thousand years trying to get humanity to turn around and walk with him. And if you can think about it like this, you could say, well, for God, a thousand years is like one day. Like, that's not long for God. But there's the flip side of that, which means one day for God can be like a thousand years. So how many days are in a thousand years and multiply that by a thousand? For God, time does have a flexible quality to it, that he experiences time differently than we do. He is definitely patient. He is definitely wanting to work with us to turn things around so that we can avoid that destruction and avoid that bad ending of the story because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to continue on that path of corruption where we keep participating in our own demise. We keep destroying ourselves. He's like, hey, can we talk about that? Can we at least have a conversation and start moving in a different direction? His patience is long. His love is great. 
and he really does want to walk with us, but there does come a time where he has to take decisive action. And it's, it's, it's in the best interest of everyone when he does that. So you're saying that here in Second Peter, he's talking about another time like this. Yeah, he's saying when Jesus comes back, when he returns, that there's going to be a judgment that is somewhat similar to the judgment that took place in the time of Noah. And this is not really like a popular thing to talk about. In fact, we all kind of make fun of like hellfire and brimstone preachers and whatnot. And I think we've all had our share of unhealthy doses of that, or at least a lot of us have. (laughs) Yeah, sure Um, thing. But I do think there's a healthy way of looking at judgment and a healthy way of looking at this judgment day. And basically what judgment is about is, is we enter more fully into the consequence of our choices. And God is wanting to, he, he wants us to repent and stop participating in our own destruction and instead to turn a corner and move in a new direction Interestingly enough, Second Peter 1 talks about what that pathway looks like. You know, he talks about this progressive developmental pathway that you can go through when you start participating in the divine nature. I just think the, we, we do live in a story where the end of the story, per se, is going to have a judgment day. And that, that is a part of our narrative that we live in. And I think we have to learn how to talk about that in a healthy way and in, a, in an accurate and biblical way. The struggle is definitely real to <laughs> talk about this in a, a healthy way. But I think the, the great news is that it doesn't have to be a scary thing. The great news is that God is always wanting to walk with us. And I think that's why it says Noah walked with God because He's really just waiting for us to walk with him, always there waiting. And also, it doesn't matter what choices you made up to this point. I mean, there is consequences for choices, but at the same time, God is always ready to walk with us into a new path, into a better way, and he can work all those things out. He can work all the dysfunction and the deficits. He can work with all of those things and walk us into a new redemptive way. Mm. So I think we'll close it out here, but know that God is inviting you. He's inviting each of us to draw nearer to him and to deeper relationship with him. And he is inviting us into a new way that Jesus has walked before us. So... If you guys have any questions or comments, go to our podcast notes and you will find the link there. Otherwise, we're so glad you listened and we will catch you next time.